You're listening to Simply Stogies, a monthly podcast dedicated to the cigar enthusiast. Light up a stogie, sit back and relax while James brings you along on his journey as a new cigar smoker. Simply Stogies will review cigars, discuss topics that cigar aficionados find important, and we'll probably learn a few things along the way. Now, here's your host of Simply Stogies, James. Welcome to Simply Stogies. I am your host, James. This episode, episode 7, Castagli Cigars, an interview with Vlad. We welcome to the show Vlad Stoyanov, product ambassador for Castagli Cigars formerly known as Bespoke Cigars. Vlad also happens to be a sommelier, and so I am very thankful that I got the opportunity to uh, sit with Vlad in Chicago and, and pick his brain not only about uh, Castagli Cigars, but also about tasting cigars. So it was a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Before I get to the interview, there's just a few things I'd like to mention. First, I'd like to congratulate Cigar and Things on Instagram for winning the Simply Stogies one-of-a-kind ashtray made by uh, loyal listener Caleb. Uh, so thank you to, to Caleb and thank you to Cigar and Things for entering the contest I will be reviewing uh, the cigar that he uh, sent in to the email address, the Padron 2000. So look for that in the next few episodes. Speaking of email addresses, you might notice ours has changed. You can reach me at simplystogiespodcast at gmail.com. Any questions you have for the show? Any questions you have for me? Any questions you have for any of the guests that I have on? Again, email them to simplystogiespodcast at gmail.com. I also want to thank the first two Patreon supporters for Simply Stogies, Stephanie Hatton and Chris Jones. Thank you guys so much for supporting Simply Stogies through Patreon. I launched Patreon last month to help fund some of the trips around the country to cigar festivals, I would like to become a media member of the IPCPR so that maybe next year I can go to the IPCPR event in Vegas and report back to you, the listener, on everything that goes on there and all of the news that comes out of there. You can support me at patreon.com forward slash simply stogies. This will be in the show notes, and there are a couple of ways you can support me. Any kind of donation is more than appreciated. But I do have a couple of tiers. I have the Robusto tier. Between a dollar and seven dollars a month gets you into that tier. It gives you instant access to any bonus content, a shout out on social media and the show, and access to the Simply Stogies Patreon only Discord channel, which you can find in the link on the show notes as we have a brand new Discord channel for Simply Stogies as well. $8 or more a month gets you into the Toro tier of my Patreon. That gives you access to all of the goodies found in the Robusto tier. 
but it also gives you access to me personally. As long as you are a Toro tier patron or above, it allows you to put one cigar a month on a list of cigars that you'd like to hear me review. It also gives you access to a monthly virtual herf that will be on the third Thursday of every month. And then if you donate $25 or more, you become part of the Churchill tier. Not only do you get everything in the previous two tiers, you'll also receive four Simply Stogie drink coasters, two Simply Stogie stickers, and you get a one-time review of a cigar on the podcast. That's right. You get to come on the podcast and review whatever cigar you'd like. If you're not comfortable coming on the podcast, I will read it for you. So that's the Churchill tier, $25 and above. Again, any donation is very much appreciated and will help me bring you more content in the future. Now, before I get to the interview with Vlad from Castagli Cigars, I want to thank the Clayton in Chicago for allowing me to sit down with Vlad inside their just absolutely gorgeous lounge and, and pick his brain for an hour and take up a table and have a cigar. Uh, I believe Vlad bought me a, a cigar. It was absolutely a fantastic time with him, and the Clayton was more than uh, welcoming and more than gracious to allow me to do that. So thank you to the Clayton, which brings me to a couple of things I need to mention. The first, the Clayton is located at 212 North Canal Street in Chicago, Illinois. In the interview, you'll hear me say several times that they're located at 2012 North Canal Street in Chicago. It is 212 North Canal Street, Chicago, Illinois. It is an absolutely beautiful lounge with a friendly and knowledgeable staff. I encourage you all, if you live in the Chicago area, or if you are visiting the Chicago area, to stop into the Clayton, say hello, and tell them James from Simply Stogie sent you. The second thing that I need to mention is that because this is a live recording, not done in a studio setting, you're going to hear some background noise. You're going to hear people talking. You may hear some music. You will also hear sirens. And you may indeed hear the L train. This was uh, right around rush hour when I was able to sit down with Vlad and talk with him for a few moments. Uh, and I was very glad to get the opportunity to do so. Unfortunately, it wasn't in a studio setting. It was a real world, real life setting with great people all around us, uh, brothers and sisters of the leaf. Uh, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So I hope you enjoy the experience as much as I did. Today, we are here in Chicago at the Clayton Cigar Lounge on, at 2012 North Canal Street with Vlad. Hey, guys. Uh, and we're going to be talking cigars. You are uh, a sommelier, correct? Yes, um, I, I am a sommelier. Um, aside from that, my... Uh, it's actually funny because my, my interest in cigars and wine kind of developed at the same time. Uh, about a decade ago, I enrolled into this introductory sommelier course. And um, I think in fourth, 
four weeks in, I was it was relatively intensive. It was five weeks, four days a week, four hours a day. Uh, and then we visited two wineries and stuff like that. And for, for tobacco, we actually had two full days. We had one full day that was just theory, geeking out, explaining how it works and all that. And, you know, it's it's pretty it's new and it's it's pretty different for for people starting out for the first time and then for the second day we had about an hour and a half of theory and then primarily basing around how are we going to pair things again working with the actual um, you know the sommelier portion of the uh, of the profession uh, and then one of the teachers who i respect immensely uh Zdravko, he, he really taught me a lot and when we were in cuba he was our guide and you know I, I, I immensely respect him he's one of the most knowledgeable people about tobacco in general um, he mentioned you know smoking is not uh, uh, good for you or it's it's not uh, it's not something you need to partake in and it has nothing to do with whether or not you want to pass um, you're welcome to not smoke at all but since I it kind of appealed to my sense of wonder and, and romanticism I kind of wanted to Try it out. So my first cigar was a punch punch, a, a Cuban punch punch. And to this day, it, it is a benchmark for medium bodied cigars with a medium finish. So anything that's lighter than that ends up being light to medium or light. Uh, and then anything that's fuller is going to be medium to f- medium to full or full. Uh, and then it kind of we went through all the, the, the Cuban, the Cuban uh, portfolio, if you will, the regular production stuff. So that's interesting. So you were learning to become a sommelier and that's when you began your cigar journey yeah so it's it's a little bit different the way it works in 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 europe um sommelier is more along the lines of a certification than an actual job position unless you work in in you know two or three star michelin restaurants uh something what they jokingly call in the u.s is a sommelier slash or a sommager you're a, you're a manager that's also a sommelier. Uh, no, I mean, very, very... The other thing is, it's not just wine-related. Uh, we had we had a full day focusing on just uh, various types of spirits. We had a full day of just coffee and tea. Uh, we had a full day of waters. I actually underwent a uh, advanced course, and I know a lot of people are cringe at this, uh, that just focused on waters. Um, so we, we got to taste a couple of different types of mineral or spring water and you know you also do a blind tasting of waters which sounds incredibly pretentious and incredibly <laughs> stupid uh, but there is a there is a market of difference between something like fiji versus voss versus avian which is naive if you believe in it and you know a couple of other things so it it was pretty eye-opening and that's kind of when my when my appreciation for all things huh, flavor developed <laughs> <laughs> all right so we'll get into that here in just a minute but what so you've told us what the first cigar was you smoked what's the last cigar you smoked oof i don't actually know what i smoked i'm smoking uh an island cigar right now so we'll leave it at that <laughs> we'll leave it at that perfect but that's not your day job your day job is not so you're actually here in chicago for an event yes who, who do you work for so i do the distribution for kizdagli cigars for the u.s um again my love of my love of wine. I've been I've been working really hard to uh, to get my level three or my advanced level through the Court of Master Sommeliers. Now in Europe, you kind of have two different paths that you can take. One is the um, ASI, which is the International 
um, sommelier association and the other is the court of master sommeliers. Now, um, I chose to do the ASI route just because that's what was available in my country. And um, I passed one of their hardest tests, which is the ASI diploma. Um, but when I came to the U.S., that, you know, be, when I started explaining something, it takes me five minutes to actually explain what it is. So I just kind of figured out, well, it might be easier to just get the court certification because everybody knows what it is and you know, it's kind of make my life easier. Uh, and I tr- still truly love wine for the same reasons I, I, I probably fell in love with tobacco. Uh, um, I'm, I'm a little bit of a romantic and, you know, when, when you break down as much as we like to fetishize grape juice as psalms, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's sunshine and, and grapes. It comes from grapes. Yes, there are yeasts involved. And yes, depending on the type of wood and blah, 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 blah. All that's super important. But when you break it down all the beautiful notes and aromas you get in a wine bottle comes from a grape. And that to me is magical. That's no different than a cigar. Um, anybody who's ever had a mind blowing experience with cigars full of subtlety and nuance and warmth and love and care involved in making it can attest to, you know, when you break it down, it's just leaves rolled together, but it's, so much more than that and that's kind of what appeals to my sense of wonder and i when i look at a cigar that's really mind-blowing i go like spongebob and go like it's magic with the little <laughs> rainbow above me uh, but it truly is it's, it it's is magical. i don't we we talked about this a little bit on the last episode of simply stogies is we don't take enough as smokers we don't take enough time to appreciate exactly where the cigar comes from the care that it that it would put into it to roll it to uh, produce it, to get it to where it's, you know, in our hands now. We just light it up, smoke it, and enjoy it. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a it's a agriculture product. Um, uh, people people tend to forget that. Um, so everything tends to play a part. The soils, the way you grow it, who grows it, who touches it, how you touch it, and and all these imperceptible little things that. You might not actually feel in the end product, but it's when you smoke enough cigars, and, and, and I believe everybody who follows Simply Stogies is either there or it's getting there. Uh, you can you can taste the passion, and whether it was a, a you know cash grab where we just slapped on a name or something and be like, "Yep, yeah, this works. Let's charge ten bucks for it," um, or it was truly rolled with an idea from start to finish and you know I, I believe people people recognize that how much of the industry do you think right now is is hype and how much is actual care that goes into the product they're making huh I mean I don't know everybody has their own <clears throat> everybody has their own uh, business idea and and their end goal I don't truly want to talk numbers because I believe that people for the most part care about what they're putting their name on at least we do so I'm, I'm hoping that everybody else does the same uh, and if someone does end up making a, a crappy product and selling tens of hundreds of, uh, tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands you know more power to them okay so let's switch gears a little bit can you give the listener 
maybe a tip or a trick on how to develop their palette. We talked about this with, with Mike from burn1.net uh, in the last episode, how he developed the palette. And for him, it was repetition. Is it, is it the same for you as a sommelier, as someone who professionally tastes? Is that, is that the trick? Well, um, yeah, it kind of is. I, I don't believe tasters, great tasters are born. I, I believe great tasters are made. Um, you know, talent only plays a portion of it. And even the best, the best tasters in the world, including some master psalms, I mean, it's repetition and hard work. Uh, the, the easiest way to, to improve your tasting skills is just to pay attention. Um, far often, in, and I'm actually guilty of it right now because we're talking and I'm enjoying our talk a lot and we're doing other things, is I'm kind of smoking this, this cigar half-heartedly. I'm not truly giving it 100% of my attention. It's great. Yeah, I'm thinking of it a, a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, I can pick up a little bit of that cinnamon, a little bit of that vanilla. I could taste it. It's probably should have been rested a couple, maybe a week or two more because it has a, a tinge of uh, bitterness and dryness in the back. But again, it's very, it's very pleasant. Uh, but I'm not getting into the nitty-gritty. Um, so I think the easiest way to improve your palate is to actually pay attention. Uh, and then obviously, uh, visual aids work well. I, I've, I've taught people about wine and beer and spirits and cigars and everything else. And having a visual representation is, is very useful. And if anybody's interested, I'm happy to share my little geek folder with them. I have a cigar flavor wheel, uh, which is not terribly complex and it, it's pretty pretty self-explanatory it's it's similar to the wine the wine flavor wheel um it kind of breaks down into major components and then it goes into details if anybody's interested i mean we can always reach out to the podcast and i'll be happy to share with with people perfect so if you want that uh let me know you can email me at simply stogies podcast at eargluemedia.com and i'll make sure that we get that to you so how much does the experience go into how you interpret the flavors you're tasting? Well, um, I think it does. I, I, when I do my cigar journal tasting reviews, I, I, I always follow the same set of... I try, I try to make it as consistent as possible. So I'll wake up in the morning. I'll clear whatever I have to do. It'll be my first cigar of the day. I will eat something completely bland to a point that I'll question why. Um, I'll typically eat uh, unsweetened oatmeal, uh, most likely with water, or if I want to treat myself, I'll use milk, and basically just nullify any chances of something impacting my palate. And the reason why I do that, I, I try to keep it as consistent as possible. I always smoke in the same or very similar um, situation, and... Uh, because again, I'm I'm rating someone's product, and I would I would hate for myself if my rating impacted a sale of a single cigar without me giving it my fullest. I think that's being part of this tasting group, and and it's an aggregate score, so they they get however many of us are a part of it. Um, they'll get the median result. I would I would hate for me giving a good or bad score impacting any 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 one of manufacturers because I know how much care is put into making those cigars. I would hate for it to impact a single one, so I try to give it my best and I smoke it even if I 
even if it's an absolutely horrid cigar, which has happened a couple of times, and there's there's nothing worse than smoking through, um, you know, a, a big ring gauge long cigar for two two and a half, half hours, that's just full on ammonia, dry, extremely unpleasant. But I powered through it because, you know, if it started in the first third. And I, if I, and I drop it, and I just say, "Well, I don't know. This sucks." I didn't give a chance to the second and, and the last third to actually do something. And who knows? Maybe it, maybe it'll redeem it. Um, out of all the cigars we've we've reviewed, I only, I've only uh, had to stop at at one cigar, and it was halfway through because it was literally unsmokable um, to a point that I couldn't taste anything for for a good portion of, of my day, and it was like. Uh, you know, I just felt that if whoever made it didn't put any care into it, why should I? So do you just smoke one for the one you review, or do you smoke more than one? We usually get just one. Okay. Uh, no, we always actually only get one. But the way it works is, uh, depending on how many the, the, the manufacturer sent, it might be five, it might be ten, it might be fifteen. So we never truly know what it is, and it's always numbered. Um, so it's fair. It's always, you just get a blank number, and it's always the same format, and you go through it, you, you give it your... You, you score it from a technical perspective. And the most important thing here is, um, and it's fine. I, I hope all the listeners here do their own personal reviews. But at the end of the day, that's your personal review. My job as someone who's, or job under quotes, my, my duty as someone, as a reviewer, is to judge it from a technical standpoint. No different than wines. It's, you know, if, if you've read my posts, you know that I'm not a huge fan of full-bodied pepper bombs but it would be extremely irresponsible of me to take a you know point one off because that doesn't suit my personal preference i still owe it to that cigar regardless if i like the profile or not i take away my personal uh, uh preference out of it and i just judge it on its technical merits or i try to do the you know the best job i can because at the end of the day your palate is subjective how subjective? I mean, I think that's the question that a lot of us have in the cigar community is how subjective is subjective? We all know taste is subjective. Somebody can pick up a Gurkha and be like, oh, I absolutely love it. Somebody can pick up a, a Liga and be like, I hate it. Twelve other people love it. So how subjective is taste at the end of the day? Well, at the end of the day, as, as a consumer, I think there's a couple of questions you should always be able to answer. One, did you like it? And, and that's where the buck kind of stops. The second question is, would you buy it again? And the third question, if it's no, the question is why not? Those are the three things that I always ask myself. I also have a fourth one, which is I, I kind of divide my my cigar budgets. I always have a benchmark for a particular price point, And I say, did I like this cigar enough to buy this instead of whatever my benchmark is for that particular price point? Um, and then my following question is, can I smoke five of these? Can I smoke 20 of these? Or can I smoke a hundred of these? So one of the reasons why I got involved is because I can and would love to be able to smoke a hundred of my Grand Cafes because I personally love that cigar and it's everything I, I, I want to be as a human being. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that for a minute. So let's let's get into now, you know, who you work for. And, and and why the name change? So they used to be called Bespoke. 
Why, why the name change? So the name change came about when we tried, uh, um, we tried trademarking initially and, and it didn't work out. Basically, the response we got was that because bespoke, which translates to tailor made or, you know, comes from the to be spoken for. Uh, and typically it'll refer to high-end clothing, like bespoke suits and things like that. Um, we got the response from the, the U.S. Patent Office, which basically said, you can't trademark it because it, you need the right of use, or no different than you trying to trademark handmade, because other people need to use it, and we can't, we, we they just basically said, you know, you can't do it. it they, we need a right of use. So, uh, and they gave us a, a document about, I don't know, probably 30-something pages where they mentioned a lot of different things like bespoke travel, bespoke sommelier, which I really laughed about because someone stole a great idea. Um, <laughs> bespoke this, bespoke that, and, you know, bespoke since blah, 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 blah. Uh, and we basically said, okay, well, you know, if, if that's what it is, it, it is what it is. Um, we could invest more money into quality and change the name, at least for the U.S. market basically just focused on quality and we took this opportunity to uh, add boveda packs and redesign some of our boxes upgrade some of our rings uh, basically just grow the way i'm i'm happy that we're growing so so and nothing really changed the the difference is it it refers to jeremy's last name because dagley um or kaz as i've actually heard it abbreviated a lot of times cas or kaz which I'm I'm fine with, and funnily enough, that's the abbreviation on our on our barcodes. <laughs> so it all worked out. So can you give me a little history of Castagli then? Because he, I mean, he's got Jeremy's got a background, like to say the least, right? Mm-hmm. Like he seems like a very colorful. He's proper British. We talked about this a yep. little bit before, but he has a a very colorful background. Yeah. So uh, the the Castagli family, and you can see it in our booklets and on the website. Um, their trade in tobacco goes back to the 1800s, where when they were traders, they were Levantine Greeks uh, based in based in Egypt, and they've traded Turkish tobacco and cotton. Um, Jeremy's uh, grandfather was actually the person who brought Cuban tobacco into the um, UK. Funnily enough, uh, damaging the the Jamaican uh, protectorate on tobacco and. You know, I, I don't think they'd be really happy to see Jeremy down there right now. But um, overall, it was uh, we have it really nice from a, from this excerpt from the uh, Daily Mail, I think like 51 or 52, uh, where they talk about bringing in some uh, Cuban tobacco. And, you know, here we are, fast forward 50, 60 years, and UK is their number, th- number three or number two market for um, Cuban cigars, very simply. Uh, as for his personal history, he's been working in the cig- or with cigars rather since '97. The the brand got started in Havana. Uh, the traditional line is based on uh, 1950s Zoya de Monterey blends. The Basilica line is kind of a standalone uh, thing meant to evoke an exploding cannon. Uh, so all of them have an exposed foot. The uh, Basilica uses the 11-year-old Bonal leaf binder, and then for the num- for the C number one, we have a double binder. And then the important thing is each of the blends in the Basilica line is its one-off unique blend. 
Yes, they share some of the similarities, but they're one-off unique blends because this is the size they were blended to. This is the size they work with best. You, you're very passionate about Castagli. Like you were very passionate about it. And, you know, we meet reps all the time that, yeah, yeah, this is, this, this is the company I work for. This is more than that for you, isn't it? So back in Europe, I actually, uh, uh, I had a very, I want to say successful cigar program in a couple of outlets uh, while working as a beverage director. And again, with our, with a nascent wine scene kind of developing, my, my one guiding principle always was I can't sell something if I can't personally stand behind it. If I can't put my, where my money where my mouth is, I can't stand behind it, period. And because my integrity and my word, my reputation is worth anything than whatever company can pay me for, unless I'm truly passionate, I believe in the product, the story, the, the future of it, I can't get involved. And that's kind of, kind of how I got involved with Kazagli, no different. Um, Jeremy did a presentation in 2014, end of 2014. I remember if it was yesterday. He did a presentation and I smoked the Grand Mariva first, which I liked. And then I smoked the, the Grand Cafe second, which I thought was exceptional. Truly exceptional. Uh, I'm, I don't know if I mentioned that, but the Cubanoid, the Monterey, number two, the Epicure, mm-hmm. number two, is probably one of my favorite cigars ever. And the Grand Cafe tastes like a, a bastard offspring of, <laughs> of a uh, Oid de Monterey number two and an, a double Corona. And the reason why I say this is double Corona for Oye de Monterey typically has a little bit of pepper in there, which the Oye de Monterey number two doesn't. It's just all creamy richness with this nugget and hazelnut and almonds and creaminess and vanilla, which the uh, um, Grand Cafe does as well. But it also comes in a Lancero format. So between the Oye de Monterey and a double Corona, they kind of got a tall, lanky kid. <laughs> How many cigars does... Uh Castagalli produce every year. So our last year's production, I want to say, was 110,000 cigars. Um, 110,000 cigars, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Just to give you an idea, so we would be, I guess tiny is the right word. You're considered, or at least from what I can kind of figure out, there's no clear definitions, but I would probably say that you're considered a small company as long as you're making under half a million cigars. So do you guys consider yourself boutique or do I mean, you hate that? I, I'm not a huge fan of that uh, uh, term just because it's been used and abused no different than uh, craft in, in beer brewing or small batch in bourbon where you roll up to MGP, buy your juice and put a fancy label on it and then charge 80 or 100 bucks. Um we are small for whatever that means. And yeah, if boutique is the easiest way to communicate it, I also hate the term Cubanesque, but a lot of our cigars get described that way. So I'm like, okay, we'll roll with it. Um, the, uh, you know, the 110,000 cigars figure that I mentioned, that's for three continents and probably two dozen countries. Wow. Uh, so it truly is a, is a rare product. It's visible. Obviously, we have some good retailers and and we typically are try to work with people who are passionate as we are and care about customer service and care about tobacco and and as long as we align it it works out great but it's still a rare product um 
further emphasized by the fact that we mostly focus on brick and mortar stores. Um, and if we are available online, that's because a store has an online storefront. So you, you said you guys get called Cubanesque and you hate that. Another comparison that I've seen thrown around, and we talked about this a little bit, <laughs> is Davidoff. You guys get compared to Davidoff, I think, at least from what I've seen, more than what I've heard Cubanesque. I've heard both. But Davidoff, I think, is the what I hear the most. And and that's fair. I, I mean, I, I can't say I'm nothing but flattered whenever I hear that. Um, I personally consider... Davidoff a, a, a benchmark along a couple along with a couple other companies because very few companies can grow and become as big as Davidoff is and, and never compromise on their on their quality. Um, I personally smoke a lot of Davidoff and it and it does make sense. Um, Kellner Jr. did work with his dad for almost twenty years. He does apply the same quality first approach. Um, just ramped up to 11 probably. Um, and I, I enjoy that. He's really passionate and he knows what he's doing. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping my little pipe dream is that at some point I'll, I'll have enough time and, and resources and everything else to just go down to the Dominican Republic for three months and grow a cigar from a seed to actually rolling, uh, my thing. And if it sucks, I have only one person to blame. Well, if you roll one. Send one my way. <laughs> I, I won't smoke it. It'll just sit in the humidor. <laughs> Vlad rolled this is what it'll say on it. It's yeah, and if it disintegrates, <laughs> we know who's, who's to blame. How many lines does uh, do you guys have right now? So we have five lines. Uh, traditional, Basilica, Cabinet Selection, the Mareva line, or Club Mareva line, and then the Daughters of the Wind. Uh, and each of them are pretty distinct for the most part. Um, the Basilica line, like I mentioned earlier, is uh, all the blends are unique. So each cigar is a different blend. And I, I know how confusing that must be for the for the consumer. Um, we, we basically roll everything to size. And we figure out which size works best, and that's the blend that ends up being made. Um, and, and I'm sure you and all your listeners have experienced this when... There's a certain cigar, and then they have a Corona, Toro, a Robusto, and whatever else. And then one size smokes better than any other. And I'm sure people have experienced this. And there's a reason why one particular size is your go-to or your favorite. And it has nothing to do with you being a sizist, which is a new term I've heard recently. <laughs> and I love it. Um, but it has to do with this. This is where the blend works best. So we t- kind of took that guesswork out and said, well... This blend works best in a Toro shape, period. And it's only available in a Toro shape. Um, most of our blends are unique. The, the, the two blends that kind of uh, share share uh, share their sizes, if you will, the, the Grand Cafe and the Grand Mareva are actually the same blend. And it took me, I kid you not, probably a year and a half to figure out that, it's, that they're the same blend. Um, because the smoking experience is... They're more akin to half brothers than actually being identical twins, which is what most of the blends try to be. When you have the same line in the in different sizes, they typically try to be identical twins. And this is more along the lines of brothers and sisters or brothers and half brothers in some cases. They kind of share some DNA, but it's it takes its own form. Um, you know, one brother decided to do law and one brother decided to be an engineer. 
I've never heard that analogy used for cigars, but I like it. So, what's your favorite line? Well, I have to. I shouldn't have favorites, but my favorite is Grand Cafe, as a as a singular. Oh my! Well, my three desert island cigars would be a Roman Julieta 2009 Grand Reserva. Um, if there ever was a sixty or a hundred dollar cigar that's worth it, that might be it. Um, or maybe I'm just a pleb who didn't smoke enough expensive stuff. <laughs> uh, the other one would be a double Corona from Moya de Monterey because if I'm sitting on an island cracking coconuts, I might as well smoke something for two and a half hours. And then uh, the a, Grand Cafe. That's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, that's... <laughs> and then the Grand Cafe. The Grand Cafe, I, I like to... Um, and again, this is a weird food comparison. Uh, I like to compare it to one of my favorite foods, which is tuna. Because tuna is so versatile, you can do everything you want with it. You can make it as a sashimi where it will be a beautiful, light bite, similar, but with enough texture, similar to what Oye de Monterey Number no. 2 is, for example, or the Grand Cafe. But you can also have it as a tuna steak. You can have it raw. You can have it cooked all the way through. And if you do cook it all the way through, we can't be friends. Um, <laughs> it's just, it, it kind of works and... and it also works on the level that there are different grades to tuna. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, the, the, the Grand Cafe elicits an emotional response whenever I light it up. And just before I light it up, I'll, I'll smile to myself because I know I'm in for a, for a treat. Um, I've had this standing bet, under quotes, for probably three years now where I've said to people, they're like, oh, I don't smoke a blah 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 i'm like okay smoke this with a cappuccino in the morning and if you don't like it i will mail you the check which now sounds a lot much better when i say i'll just venom you 20 bucks <laughs> um to this day nobody has taken me up on the offer so please don't do it <laughs> um but it truly your, your day just if you start your day like that it'll just improve from there what's jeremy's favorite line or does he grand cafe he? Really? Rang Cafe. It is a... There was no hesitation there. No. I, I think we're very, very, very similar. And, and it's, a, it's a very refined smoke. It's subtle. It's nuanced. But it's interesting enough. And depending on how much thought and attention you want to give it, it'll reward you with just as much. You, you can take out of it as much as you want, and it'll, it'll follow through and just you know reward you for it. Uh, my second favorite would probably be... The Basilica A. I'm I'm gonna exclude the limited edition stuff because I don't think calling Spalato uh, one of my favorites would be fair. Uh, it's super rare. I've only smoked five of them uh, in the past two, almost three years, um, to a point that we, we we got a portion of our shipment damaged, and I actually smoked the Spalato that had a slit going from on the entire side of the cigar from underneath the band all the way to almost the, the, the cap. Um, it did pour smoke out as it was smoking, but it actually burned all the way through, and wow. it was still enjoyable. So probably the weirdest thing I've smoked. <laughs> we talked about you have you have five different lines. Are there any, Is there anything else coming out? As far as new things coming out, uh, we've, we've mostly focused on the rebranding. Uh, the one thing that we probably will... Uh, present to our retailers just to kind of get a little bit of feedback. Europe already loves them. Uh, we've already made a small little run of uh, Daughters of the Wind Lanceros. Uh, we're still working on a name. There's a couple of things that are that we're kind of thinking of. 
uh, the Palomino being one of them, which is a, a white horse. The whole Daughters of the Wind line is is named after horses, or rather, the whole the Daughters of the Wind line is named after an um, Arabian poem uh, that basically goes back to the sixth century. So, um, just kind of like touch upon the poem because I don't want to butcher it. Um, what it really talks about is while the Bedouin were nomadic, they they came upon an oasis and they let their horses drink the water. Only four of them returned. Uh, and then the, from the four that returned, you can trace all the Arabian horses, horse lineage, basically back to them. And among the most prized breeds is the Dachman breed, which carries the name of our, our largest cigar, which is a seven seven 7.1 by 56, um, which is a good, for me at least, a good three-hour smoke. And I don't know if the man... When we did the event in Smoker's Abbey in Texas, is listening to this. But if he is, he is my personal hero. Uh, I have never felt so proud because I've seen someone smoke two of those back-to-back over a four-and-a-half-hour period. And to me, that is probably the biggest compliment I could have ever gotten without him saying a word. You know, (laughs) kudos to you, man, because I couldn't do it. Also, it's a huge nicotine kick. So That is, yes, absolutely. I love the Daughters of the Wind line. The Pony is, I mean, for that price point, I don't think there's a better cigar on the market. Yeah, so we, we tried to do, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a blend that Jeremy's been making for about six years. Um, and if the FDA, uh, you know, does impact something, it might impact that. Uh, but for, and we'll, we'll, we might go for the process. I don't know where, where we are with, with the Robusto, but I'm super happy that it's here. Um, I've, I've been a big push about keeping under that, um, ten dollar, ten dollar price point, and I'm I'm really proud for what it does, and I think it's a good representation of what we do. The mo- the important part about that is, um, it also uses something very near and dear to my heart, which is uh, Ecuadorian Habano. I personally love that tobacco. Um, and aside from that, the blend differs from the higher end line, so it differs from, it's different than the than the Pyramid A, the Dachman the Strabicano and the, and the Sabino uh, because those four use the Caramello leaf and the Pinal de Rio uh, while the Robusto has a slightly different blend. We just couldn't deliver. Those are all super expensive tobaccos and with how much care we put into them, we just couldn't... We th- There was just no way to make it uh, work. And the world has enough $15 Robustos as it is. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time uh, to talk to us about all of this, about uh, Castagli and uh, sommelier tasting. I, I, I want to ask you a final two questions. For a new smoker, a new cigar enthusiast, what is the one cigar you would recommend? I know a lot of people would cringe at this. Um, I actually enjoy a friend of mine wanted to get into cigars. And I kind of built his palate over probably a six-month period. Um so I gave him a baseline, and we kind of went from there. Uh, he started with um, Macanudo, I think it's the clubs or whatever the lightest side side one is, because it's so integral that your first experience not be a horrible one. And if we start you off with a full-bodied pepper blast, with someone's just, you know, you're not going to have a good day. Um, that's why I typically start with either a larger ring gauge or a very light cigar. Um, I typically tend to shy away from Lanceros, Coronas, anything that can get overheated quickly. Um, and it's different when you're when you're guiding someone by the hand and you're kind of like, hey, smoke it like this, try this, experiment, see what works for you. It's much different than if someone's just, you know, if 
nobody's there to kind of help you. Uh, I would always suggest something light, light to medium at most. So my go-tos for that entire um, segment is typically the, the light Macanudos, the Monte Cristo whites and platinums. I think they work really well. I think, you know, even, if, even though they are extremely expensive, um, I think they work well as an introductory cigar. Um, I think the Davidoff Millennium blends are a great little um, cigar. I'm just, I tend to hesitate with giving them something that expensive. You will recognize quality, period. But those nuances and subtleties might turn you off and say, well, this isn't worth 20 bucks. Um, and again, I might be biased because I smoke a lot of Davidoff and the, the way it comes down to it, you know, you either get it or you don't, but you do need to have a little bit of a developed palate to kind of figure it out. Um, with my friend, I kind of built his palate over that six-month period. And about four and a half, five months in, I started giving him the regular production Davidoff, the limited edition Davidoff, the Padron, the 26, the, the 64, the 26, the 50. Um, and he kind of, at that point, he developed his palate a little bit. Uh, and, and again, please don't, misunderstand this if you can afford to have your baseline be davidoff or padron or anything of the you know 20 30 dollar cigars more power to you and i can't tell you how happy i am to you know that you can afford and smoke those on a daily basis i certainly can't uh but i try so i typically i think those are good examples that the macanudos the monte cristo whites uh, i always keep a couple for them the camachos even the yellows and the orange they're built to fulfill a particular need, which is that, you know, good construction, light, light to medium, um, easy to understand with very, not incredibly complex profiles, but very singular and simple. Um, you like know, an I, introduction. Yeah, to. exactly, exactly. And it's, and it's really in, in, extremely important for your first experience to be positive because if it isn't, you might never smoke a cigar again. And that would be horrible. So when is it okay, this will be the last question, when is it okay to start pushing your boundaries, start pushing that out of your comfort zone of what you enjoy taste and flavor-wise? Well, at the end of the day, you have to enjoy it. Uh, you have to enjoy what you're smoking. I'm not a believer, unless I'm doing those cigar journal reviews, I mean, I won't push myself and smoke through something that I don't enjoy. Um, the best way, when I, when I asked this very silly question 10 years ago, how long should I smoke this? The answer was simple. As long as you enjoy it. And you can always start. You know, maybe not start at the high end, but kind of build it. And try it out and just be open to it. And make sure you eat something beforehand. Because there's nothing worse than getting a nicotine high. And then, you know, um, praying to the porcelain gods. Which has <laughs> happened before. Um, and then, yeah, don't... The good thing about cigars, it's it's not a. I, I have a very simple rule for cigars, which is typically, if I'm not uh, feeling happy or relaxed or basically, I don't want to use it as a crutch. It's not a coping mechanism. Um, it, it's not like a cigarette, or it's not. It's it doesn't have the addictive component, and you should never treat it like that. If you can smoke five cigars back to back. You know, more power to you. I probably can't. And when I do, I, you know, my heart probably keeps skipping ever so often. Um, 
But yeah, just slowly push it and always be open to trying new things. I typically try things at least twice. Uh, once because if I didn't like it, I kind of think, I always revert back to myself and think, okay, well, what did I have for, what did I eat beforehand? What was it, what was it like? What was my emotional state? Was I focusing on it? Was I just kind of like puffing at it? Um, or, you know, maybe inconsistency. Maybe it's just, you know, for the lack of a better word, shitty luck of the draw. Um, so I always try to give everything two chances. The, the one thing I, I, I never do give two chances is 20 to 30 or more expensive cigars. If it doesn't perform well from a technical standpoint, it will never get a revisit from me. Just because that, for me, once you pass a $10 threshold or even $12 threshold, on, or sorry, a $10 threshold on, a, on the shelf, there's absolutely zero excuse for it not to perform perfectly from a technical standpoint. And I, I, you know, everything else just shows the lack of care and not giving a fuck. And I believe that at d- double-digit prices, that's just unacceptable. Um, no, I agree. I mean, for that kind of money, you should at least enjoy the experience. You may not enjoy the flavors, but construction-wise, it should be on point. Absolutely. And, and construction is, uh, again, it falls under the technical uh, performance. And, and once you hit that double-digit, the... You might not like the cigar at the end of the day. It'll take you some time to get there, but um, once you start tasting enough, you may not like a cigar from a from a personal preference, whether it's flavor profile, whether it's the band, whether it's the way it was, whatever. But from a technical standpoint, if it performs the way it should be, it's a good cigar. Um, you know, the fact that you don't like it is, you know, great and more, you know, you shouldn't buy it again or... Maybe you should revisit it at some other point. Maybe it just didn't work out, but it should be working, working as intended to, to use a, It's not a bug, it's a feature. That's right. It's not a bug, it's a feature. Yeah. Vlad from uh, Castagli Cigars, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me here at the Clayton uh, 2012 North uh, Canal Street in uh, beautiful Chicago, Illinois. Uh, stop by, say hi, tell them Simply Stogie sent you. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Well. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed interviewing Vlad Stoyanov from Castagli Cigars. I hope you'll join me next time here at Simply Stogies, where I will be discussing cigar lounges, etiquette, what to do, what not to do, and possibly some of the lounges in the Midwest area that I think you should check out. Until then... Stay smoky, my friends. Thank you for listening to Simply Stogies. Please rate and review Simply Stogies on iTunes. You can follow James on his cigar journey on Instagram at Simply Stogies Podcast, all one word, and on Twitter at the Twitter handle at Simply Stogies.